Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thank you so much for joining us. The text line is open, 877-933-2484. Thank you to all of those already uh, checking in on the text line this morning. Um, Particular shout out to uh, the Solbergs. um, Starting a new job tomorrow, so blessings blessings upon you. All right, so abortion is on the ballot today in Ohio. Hey, one year from today, by the way, uh, is going to be Super Tuesday in terms of uh, the U.S. election process. So if you were thinking to yourself, yeah, I need something to add to my prayer list, well, it's a year from today. So seems like a good day to start praying in view of that. Uh, But today, abortion is on the ballot in Ohio. We talked uh, earlier, well, maybe late last week. I don't know. Did we talk about it? I can't remember when we talked about it with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith, but um, we talked about this coming up in terms of um, a, a vote in Ohio on enshrining the right to abortion in the state's constitution. And so let's be lifting that up today. Um, there are those who are saying that, um, you know, the outcome of this particular effort in Ohio, where a lot of money has been spent to uh, to make this happen, that this would be, you know, a way of looking ahead at what might happen um, in other states across the country where legislative efforts have failed in terms of um, enshrining abortion rights. And so this is a way to bypass the representative process um, and and put something in a state's constitution itself. Um, Also in the headline news across the country today, uh, Nashville's Covenant School Shooters Manifesto was leaked yesterday, and that has the attention of many people. First of all, let me just say this. It's brief. It's not particularly illuminating. And clearly the shooter's motivation was to target and kill as many children um, who were white and who um, the shooter regarded as privileged um, as was possible. And so that just makes me incredibly deeply sad. Um, And so let's be continuing to pray for all of the families affected. Um, by not only that event, but other events like it across the country. Um, There is a study that has recently been released on the, it's called the Nation, A Nation of Survivors. Guns are the leading cause of death among children and adolescents in the United States. Um, But twice as many kids actually survive. And so we don't um, often have follow-up conversations about children who are treated for gunshot wounds. and then how they grow up and how they live with those scars and those experiences and how that impacts them as individuals and the families and communities and schools and churches of which they are a part. And so um, be mindful of that. Be thinking about that. Maybe that brings someone to mind and maybe that helps you understand 
why there's been such a dramatic increase in psychiatric disorders or substance abuse disorders um, among teenagers. If we look at the number of kids affected by gun violence across the country, not 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 exclusively in schools, obviously. Um, in fact, more often than not, not in schools, um, but elsewhere. And so maybe let's spend a minute here talking about how we talk with our kids about all the violence in the world today. Uh, kids feel very real fear, and they also feel um, deeply the way in which we process and talk about things that are happening. So how are you reassuring children that they are safe? How are you setting it um, in both a temporal and an eternal context? How are you validating children's, their feelings, what they're feeling? Because whatever they're feeling is okay, like, right? Um, helping them understand that and, um, and walk in the midst of that. We actually have to make time to talk with them. Let kids' questions um, stand and let their questions, the actual questions they're asking, guide you in terms of how much information you provide. Ask them what they know and what they've heard and how they're feeling about it. Be patient. Um, ask them what they're feeling, um, not just on the outside, but on the inside. If you, need a, if you need kind of a way to do that, use art. Art is a great way. Um, getting kids drawing or um, cutting things out of magazines that help them identify and express their feelings are really, really good. Keep your explanations uh, developmentally appropriate. You know, obviously the things that you're going to say to elementary school kids um, is going to be different and far more limited than what you're going to say to kids in middle school or or high school. Um, give them an opportunity to actually, like, review your family's safety plan and procedures. Help them identify, um, you know, one person at school, one person at church to whom they could go if they ever felt um, scared or at risk. Uh, you know, beyond you, who who is safe for them and help them know that in advance and actually talk about that. And be a person who, like, pays attention to what's changing in your child's life and in their, the way they're dressing, um, their sleep patterns, what they're eating, what they're doing, who they're hanging out with. Like, all of that is going to give you good indicators in terms of what's going on on the inside. When you can, um, and as you can, limit their access to social media. Um, and correct misinformation because there's a lot of there's a lot of lies out there. And so how do we identify misinformation and how do we correct it? As much as you can, maintain a normal routine and um, and help kids find a place and a space to make a positive difference. Like, right, in the same way that you and I want to do something, I want to take white roses to my Jewish neighbors, in the same way that I want to do something, kids want to do something. And so in whatever small ways they can do something, help them do it. Help them identify organizations they could support or things that they could do related to um, making a positive contribution at their school or at their church or in your community. So, you know, I, I think that highlighting, um, highlighting the truth is always important, but doing so in an age-appropriate way is um, absolutely imperative. Dr. Uh, Brett Nix is going to join us next. He serves with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're going to um, talk about the stress of war and protests and social unrest and uh, constantly living at a heightened alert and how that's affecting our health. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Ooh, 
take a deep breath. We're going to jump in with Dr. Brett Nix for a little checkup here. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. How are you this morning? Good morning. I always, um, you know, whenever I talk to you, I say, I want to I want to be the person who gets to say, all right, open wide and say, ah. <laughs> do do yeah, doctors well, still you, do that? Like, why did they tell us to say, ah, what was the point of that? Well, you know, it's a great question. You're trying to look at the back of the throat. Typical exam, you're looking at the tonsils, you're looking for some of the areas of erythema or redness that we might see related to things. And when you say, ah, it flattens the tongue. So it allows you to see the back of the mouth more. Some people can open their mouth, as you know, enormously. You could park a truck inside. And other people, they open it and you can't even see past their teeth. And so that's just a trick that allows you to see the things that are part of your exam. Okay, so that's fascinating. Is does my jaw actually like designed to open wider than I open it? Could my mouth open wider if I practiced? Uh, that's a, probably more of an anatomic process. <laughs> uh, none of us, unless unless you're part snake, unless you're part snake and you can open your mouth in an unusual way. Uh, most of the time, it's the way God created our anatomy. That's good to know. That's good to know. I'm not going to worry about the fact that when I smile, all my teeth don't show. <laughs> Other people, when they smile, all their teeth show. I've always been a little jealous of that, but I'm going to stop. Okay. Talk with us about stress. My, This is literally just a question uh, that's been on my heart and mind. I just feel I like my whole self is at this heightened alert, and I've been living here for a month, and that can't be good for me. So can you talk with me about stress and how that affects our health, and then uh, a little bit about how to de-stress. Yeah, stress is real. I mean, people have to recognize that every single day you're going to face stresses. How you respond to it and how you prepare for it matters great. And the reality of this is a a short-term stress. Let's say you're getting up today and you have a job interview. Maybe you have an exam Uh, you're stressed, you're feeling it and you're anticipating, you know, what is coming next. That is something that we deal with. Well, it ramps our body up for short term response. We deal with this stress and then we move on. However, what you're talking about is this sensation of goodness gracious. I just feel burdened. Uh, These long term stresses are very, very real. And the impact of long term stress uh, on the body is profound. It affects you in ways that you may not even realize when people are talking about the fact that they, they're just tired, they're having problems sleeping, their muscles ache, they have issues with indigestion, they're having some issues maybe with panic attacks, even visual changes. These are simple findings associated with, with chronic stress. And the challenge that we have with us, number one, is we have to recognize it. We have to recognize when we're facing stress. We have to ask ourselves, how do I cope with stress? Am I getting sleep? Am I getting exercise? Am I eating well? Because it's fascinating when you start looking at stress, it impacts the foods that we choose, it impacts the way that we sleep, and it also starts to impact our immune system over time. All right. Food, sleep, and um, an immune system. Are there ways we can boost? What what are the things we actually can do um, to positively influence the reality that we are living in the midst of of chronic or long-term stress? The simple fact, number one, is you have to recognize the things that you can control. And in life, there's not a lot of them. And if they're the things that are outside of that, if you're a person of faith, spend some time praying about it. Take that burden from yourself, but also recognize your body was created to be active. And the, one of the best ways to combat stress is exercise. You're combating the stress hormones. Now with the natural hormones, your body releases things we call endorphins. 
that over time actually help to combat those issues of stress hormones and normalize them. That directly impacts the immune system. The immune system is amazing. When you think about stress hormones, our body, as you say, gets ready for this fight and flight system. So all of a sudden we're ramped up, we have cortisol, we have all of these different types of hormones that our body ramps and starts to secrete in, in, in preparation. But if it's long and it persists and it persists, and take a moment, many of us felt that with COVID, the wave was coming, we weren't sure when it was going to hit. We, had, we heard horror stories of what was going on. So this was a, I'm ready for this mission, I'm ready for this battle. But as that battle wears on, your body breaks down. Your immune system weakens. A lot of the cells that are there to respond to simple things like viruses, like COVID, like other things, when you are in a stress state, you don't respond the same. You don't respond as well. And what we find is chronic stress over time impairs your immune system such that you may be 65 and have lived in high levels of stress for whatever those dynamics may have been. And your immune system is more like it's 85. Yeah, I having an immune system that doesn't uh, feel like it is up to the task. Um, we can we can address that by better sleep, by drinking more water. Like, right? I mean, there are some things that I can do to help my brain and my body function correctly. Let's also talk about the role of food and food choices. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We need to hydrate well. This doesn't mean that you need to carry a bottle of water everywhere you go. But you should think about it. If you're going to be out of the house or you're going to be on the road, if you're at work and you have access, that's great. Uh, there's nothing magical because everyone may have underlying medical conditions that may limit the amount of water. But most Americans don't drink enough uh, food selections. When you are stressed, our bodies are pulled to high carbohydrate sweets. That's just the nature of what it is. It's a balancing act. Uh, some people will have their comfort food that they're driven to. That is an unhealthy comfort food. Uh, and again, if you shift back to a balanced diet, getting what you need based on the level of activity that you have, based on the needs as far as appropriate fruits and vegetables, making sure you're getting adequate amount of protein, a balance associated with fats, uh, you know, and your carbohydrate of choice. These are important things, but it's, it's amazing. Our bodies, when it's in a stress state, move as far away from the things that we need uh, to go ahead and repair. And so we have to actually be aware of that and combat that. The simple things like you said, hey, if you're not getting seven to eight hours of sleep, good sleep, not just in bed watching TV, but actual sleep, you're falling behind. Get your water, focus on your food, get that exercise, spend your time in prayer and meditation and stretching the things that your body needs to recoup and to recover. These are critical things when you're facing stress. All right, we want to talk with you about um, something that you brought to us, and that is a new drug that is worsen worsening the fentanyl crisis and complicating treatment. So we're going to take a very, very brief break, and when we come back, Dr. Brett Nix is going to unpack for us what's going on with street drugs. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. Hey, returning our, to our conversation with Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. 
Um, Brett, read us in. What What's going on on the streets in terms of drugs and how is a new drug worsening the fentanyl crisis? As if that could even like be possible. Well, you know, there's challenges that are out uh, and have been for a long time. And what we end up finding <clears throat> more than anything else is these blended drugs that are out there. Uh, we find a lot of those that, you know, historically you think about the problems we see with cocaine. You hear things about methamphetamines. You think about things with, with marijuana and the changes associated with it. We went through this issue for several decades related to addressing pain and in doing so created an opioid crisis. And then in that space, we start seeing issues as well with many, many types of illegal drugs uh, that come across uh, from a lot of times from Mexico through different areas that now are the medication or the, uh, the drugs that people are seeking but they're laced with all kinds of different things. And we've heard about this with fentanyl. Obviously, it's a, a morphine analog. Um, and what it ends up being is incredibly powerful, incredibly strong. And what we're finding in many circumstances, and I just came off of nights, and I don't know, I probably took care of a, a, a less than a dozen individuals that are coming in with just mixed messages as far as what they're getting. They think that they're buying something. And as an example, a gentleman came in. He was probably about his mid-40s, early 50s. And, you know, make some bad decisions and some bad choices uh, comes in, you know, completely unresponsive. And in that circumstance, we think that maybe this is an opioid, maybe this is heroin. Uh, and so we give medications like Narcan or Naloxone, which is a reversal agent, goes in and it blocks where the narcotic is working. And so this guy wakes up uh, and then trying to understand at this point in time, he doesn't know where he's at. He's completely confused, oftentimes agitated. And you have to be very careful because fists start swinging. And as a medical professional, the last thing you want to do is be on the floor. And so after he calms down enough, realizes where he's at, asking the simple question, what did you take? And he said, well, I was just smoking cocaine. Well, Mm -hmm. most of us know that cocaine is a stimulant. It ramps you up. It gets you moving more so than putting you in a suppressed state. And so what we know in this circumstance is it wasn't just cocaine, but somebody laced it with something else. Uh, Fentanyl is the most common one, incredibly potent narcotic. And so somebody's doing something that is a stimulant and all of a sudden has a depressant that now makes them stop breathing and they go unresponsive. Um, and what we're finding is an endless amount of things that are being mixed. Everything where people are cutting in different types of things to increase their addictive properties. Uh, so narcotics, obviously highly addictive. Uh, people are cutting in different things where they're getting into veterinary medicine. And we're seeing unusual things that come across that are highly toxic, that are not known to be in these typical situations. Um, And then you look at the concentrations, the things that we know to be true, the levels of THC and marijuana and marijuana analogs, those types of things are absolutely through the roof. And I will be honest with you, I think that we will find in about 10 years time, those that use on a highly routine basis, the level of toxidrome to the brain we will likely see early dementia, early onset schizophrenia, and other types of issues that affect the brain to a degree we have never seen. Yeah, it's not just that um, kids are getting high, like right. That's that's uh, that is an issue in and of itself. But we have people who are relying upon street drugs in a way that um, they don't. Again, they don't know what they're taking. They don't know what it's mixed with, um, and these ever increasing concentrations. You know, I I think about parents who are like, oh, well, I, you know, I'd, I'd rather my kid, um, you know, be be smoking pot so that they can, um, you know, they can have that under control by the time they go to college. But the reality is I, I, I the, the pot today is not the pot of the 1970s. Um, and I just think there's just a bunch of adults who 
are living in um, you know fantasy land in terms of the man the quote unquote manageability of uh, of pot in particular marijuana in particular yeah no and you know you bring forward a lot of things again it gets back to the question is um, yes there's recreational use that is not new this is something that is historic and we can go back in in the legacy of history and look at this the question is what are we trying to escape from. Uh, is there a, such a desire to do this? What are we seeking? And that gets us into really questions about the foundations of of who we are, our family unit, our faith, our belief of things. Uh, and then to really circle back to the questions you had at the start, people don't know what they're getting. Uh, as you know, this thing called xylazine is basically being mixed in with fentanyl. Uh, and it doesn't reverse with the Narcan, the stuff that we do. It is incredibly potent. And so now we're starting to see it. it's small in number, very, very small. But if, if the xylazine is in there to go ahead and amplify the effects of fentanyl, but I cannot reverse it when somebody does something that they don't know is going to have a certain effect on their body and I cannot save them, uh, hugely changing. So, you know, you know the effect on your body and it's not just what you see in movies. It's not just what you hear from other people. Uh, and the long-term issues associated with it are untoward at this point. You have recommendations for us, Brett, on this front. Like, I, I mean, education, um, talking with our kid. Like, what what would you do um, if you knew a person who is who thinks they are using drugs recreationally? And I mean, they're just at such incredible risk. What what would you do? No, I mean, you you really are playing Russian roulette. I mean, that, that's what this is. This is a, well, I've got it under control. It's like, well, your body's not intended to have this in the first place to the degree that it's coming. Number two, you don't know what you're getting. Uh, and the bottom line is, is this is all about relationship. Uh, in order to have those tough conversations with people, you have to be connected with them. We suffer as a society with connection. And, you know, I've got two teenagers. If they were to step into this space, it's going to be difficult conversations. But at the same point in time, people have to desire to have help. And what you end up doing is the drugs that they have are creating a process of addiction. What we've talked about before is we are a society of addiction right now, whether that be because of cell phone processing and other types of things. We are looking for the next thing. We're looking for that dopamine hit. We're looking for that process that continues to go. Relationship and engagement and conversation and feeling that you are part of something helps to curb that significantly. Uh, these are the things that we really need to engage in society. Hey, when you said um, the long-term effects of of toxidrome, um, that might be something that uh, those of us that are not living in your world don't. We don't even know what you're talking about. Can you circle back around to that and tell tell us what that is and what you mean? Sure. You know, each one of us is created uniquely, and the wiring in my brain is going to be different than the wiring in your brain, Carmen. And those are beautiful things. The challenge with that, though, is that anytime you're taking a substance that alters you, where you are in space, you know, if you are, are you know, taking narcotics and doing these types of things, just like if I'm giving somebody sedation for a procedure I have to in the emergency department, I have to give them consent saying, hey, these are the things that could happen and I cannot predict what that is. Uh, but you need to be aware it's incredibly rare, but this could happen. That's in a controlled environment. You step into an environment where you're taking drugs and you're taking other substances that number one, you don't know really what you're getting. And number two, you can't predict how your brain and your body is going to respond you may not notice the subtle change, the, the severing, the, the searing of a tiny little neuron in your brain. But over time, one neuron begets another, begets another. And as we age, 
we have to be dependent on cells to a, to a, a greater degree as they as we age we lose them and so when i talk about the toxidrome it's not just what the visual person at the moment sees but it's the inherent damage that is being done that you will not recognize for years to come and when it comes all of a sudden it's like well why is this happening and many times we're not going to connect the dots i do believe that we're going to find significant influence in this space Okay, and just briefly for the uninitiated, is toxidrome a thing? Is it a substance? Is it a what? What is it? It is a syndrome. It is a process a where something is going into your yeah. It's something that's going into your body that is doing something that is altering how your body responds, and then all of a sudden, with that, uh, the body has to respond in different ways, and so. If I have somebody who is on a bunch of narcotics, let's say they go out and do a bunch of heroin, the common immediate toxidrome or, or what that toxin does to your body can mm. alter what I see in your eyes. It can alter your ability to speak. It can alter your ability to breathe because of where it affects the body. If I have somebody who uses cocaine, that toxidrome, how it affects the body in the short term creates a episode where I get high blood pressure, I get high heart rate, I get ramped up with energy, I may get crazy out of my head. Uh, and that's the short term. The long term toxidrome or effect on the body is that I get advanced heart disease, I have increased risk of stroke, I put my kidneys at risk. All of these things, when you hear about the side effects or the long term effects, that is really what we're talking about when we use the term toxidrome. All right. That is super helpful. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. I know sometimes you have to sort of go back down to like the seventh grade level for me, and I appreciate your willingness to do that. Um, Brett, we got to leave it um, right there today. Thank you so much. Dr. Brett Nix, Christian Medical and Dental Association. Um, and, you know, let me just encourage you guys, if you want to check in with Brett, it's brettnix, with an S, md.com. Um, and if you are any anywhere related to the medical or dental uh, profession. We'd love for you to connect with CMDA at cmda.org. Let's um, spend uh, time focusing on our youth. Let's talk about what it looks like to form character and cultivate lifelong discipleship in our young people. Um, you know, Brett's talking about having two teenagers. I've got, uh, a, you know, a, a high school senior and one in college, what does it look like for them to cultivate their faith beyond youth group? Like, what does it look like to actually um, walk alongside our young people and be with them in their journey of discipleship? Brad Griffin joins us. He's co-author of Faith Beyond Youth Group. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Character and character character development. We uh, we know that our kids are characters, but how is their character formed? How do we cultivate lifelong discipleship um, with our young people? We're going to talk with Brad Griffin. Brad works with our friend Kara Powell at the Fuller Youth Institute. Brad's the Senior Director of Content and Research there. Brad, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. We don't mind uh, telling you out loud and saying it often that we love Kara Powell. <laughs> she's she's a lot of fun. <laughs> she's, fantastic. <laughs> she's fantastic. She's fantastic. All right. Talk with us a little bit um, about this project, Faith Beyond Youth Group. Um, we're going to talk about the five ways to form character and cultivate lifelong discipleship. But 
What is the concern out of which this project grows? Yeah, well, it's an open secret that youth ministry needs to change. This was true before COVID, the pandemic really exposed and accelerated what's been outdated and ineffective uh, about that. You know, young people have really changed and society has changed. And we do ministry the same way that we did a few decades ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, for those who are faith leaders, but also those who are, who are parents, you know, which I am too. I have three kids who are teenagers and adults, and we want their faith to matter, not just when they're at church or in youth group or even with us, but we want their faith to matter every day. We want their faith to matter when they're out in the world, um, the rest of the week and the rest of their lives. And so that's really what drove us to this research. When we use the word character, tell us what we're talking about. Because if we're going to talk about ways to form character and cultivate lifelong discipleship, what what's the character component of this? Mm-hmm. Character is kind of a tricky term, right? It it can be loaded for some people. It's been mishandled in a certain way. You know, we're not talking about just conforming to standards. We're not just talking about um, you know morality in a strict sense. When we get at character, this sort of internal quality, we we wrestled with how to define it. And where we actually landed is living out Jesus' goodness every day by loving God and our neighbors. So tying this to both the character of God and, and Jesus' goodness, right? This, this true sense of goodness and, and that great commandment to love God and our neighbors, which is our our deepest call and our first call. And so we feel like that kind of captures what we hope for and what we're talking about. We're talking with Brad Griffin. Uh, he's the one of the co-authors of Faith Beyond Youth Group. Um, you can find Brad and the book at fulleryouthinstitute.org. Um, you guys talk about this as a compass. You're going to you're going to offer this compass to youth leaders in particular, but to those of us who love youth in general, um, draw the compass analogy for us and maybe put some points on that compass. Mm-hmm. So a compass is a, a, it's a tool to help us orient, right? So we're orienting ourselves on a map, um, on a terrain, um, and we need a new compass. We need a mm-hmm. we need a new way to sort of find our way in the topography of today's world and just guiding and caring for, discipling young people in that world. And so we think this compass can help us find our way, can help us figure out where to orient our um our effort really as we're thinking about relationships with young people. And I'll I'll start with the first point on the compass and that is cultivating trust. So (laughs) trust is no longer a given. So many studies show that trust levels drop by generation and today's young people trust others less, they trust adults less, they trust institutions less than ever. Uh, In fact, we say they trust influencers more than institutions. And, you know, in the midst of that, we are, we've got to be those adults who lean in, who cultivate trust, who become trustworthy voices in their lives. That's really the foundation of relationship. And it's got to be the foundation of discipleship as well. Well, and once it's broken, and I think that there are a lot of, and I'll just, this is a generalization, but I I kind of can't help making them every once in a while. It's my sense 
that the church has broken trust with young people. Lots of Christian leaders have broken trust with young people, and a fair number of Christian parents have broken trust with their young people. Can you talk about relationships and maybe how we foster better relationships with um, emerging generations? Like, you know, how how do you cultivate trust? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know, the, the real key is consistency and closeness. So mm. consistency is that relational longevity. It's just, it's showing up when you say you're going to show up mm. and doing that over and over. It's, you know, simply it's keeping our promises to young people. So, I mean, when I put that in the context of whether it's about my own kids or, you know, a kid at my church, um, if I say, yeah, I'm going to be there to watch your game, you know, or I'm coming to your play. Like if we make that promise that we show up because it really, really matters. And we just keep doing that over and over and over. Um, and, And then closeness is more about proximity. It's just being in their space, you know, it's showing up in their lives, um, doing so over and over. For parents, this honestly means making ourselves available, even when it's less convenient for us. I was just talking to another parent who was saying, you know, their kid was on the way home from the gym. It was after 10 o'clock at night and he texted and said, you know, hey, can you make me some food? And all that parent wanted to do was go to bed. But they knew hey, this is the time, like my kid's available. And that wasn't just a call for food. That was a, I want to hang out, talk about my day. And and sometimes we've got to just be willing to lean in, show up, be there, right? Consistently and be close when they want to be close because they don't always want to be close. Um, but that's help, that, that helps us build trust. Trust is built in these little moments, these little ways. I, my sister has a um, a daughter who's a junior in college this year, and what you have just described, that willingness to remain available whenever it is that suddenly they are chatty, like, right? So, you know, it doesn't really, like, you can check in with your kid all the time, and most times it's like, you know, the one text or a 10-second, you know, check-in or whatever, but then it might be three in the morning, and all of a sudden they're full of words, and so whenever that one opportunity presents itself, like, I just have to be ready to shut off everything else and, you know, grab whatever I need to uh, to meet them at their energy level, because it it does happen at hours that seem odd to me as a mature adult. But of course, you know, that's forgetting that my hours were different when I was a when I was a young person. So I think that's a really helpful observation. We are um, we are talking with Brad Griffin. He's one of the co-authors of Faith Beyond Youth Group, Five Ways to Form Character and Cultivate Lifelong Discipleship from our friends at Fuller Youth Institute. And let me just go ahead and give you the five points on this compass offered up to youth leaders. Cultivating trust, modeling growth, teach for transformation, practice together, and make meaning. We'll continue our conversation with Brad in just a moment, and we'll touch on a couple other points of the compass. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, 
all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation now with Brad Griffin from Fuller Youth Institute. The book is Faith Beyond Youth Group. We're using the compass as our, I guess maybe analogy is one uh, one description of this. So offering a compass to those involved in ministry with young people um, and giving them some points on that compass. So we've talked about cultivating trust. Um, Brad, what does it mean to model growth? So... Modeling growth is a way that we can have a big impact just by living our lives the way they are. Mm. Teenagers see our character gaps. They see us stretch the truth, ignore rules, you know, sidestep guidelines. They're watching for what our everyday actions reveal. And they see so many examples around them of people who don't live up to the hype. You know, they don't live the way that they say they live. Now, this does not mean that we have to be perfect. Of course, that's impossible. But being authentically you, including when you make a mistake, you own it, you acknowledge what went wrong, you know, you ask for forgiveness if you need to, you make it right. I think when young people see not only um, our uh, the good things we do, but also the way we repair relationships, uh, the way we struggle. What was so surprising to us in in our research was hearing young people talk about how much they appreciated and an impact it had on them hearing about the leaders in their lives who shared their own struggles, um, who shared their imperfect lives. And so, you know, some of that's about storytelling, but a lot of it is really just about living, living. And this is the thing with character that the research would show over and over that, you know, character is caught a lot more than it's taught. And so we just, we just got to live it. You know, (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. really the way that young people pick up character. It's, it's by the real adults in their lives. Yeah. And I think that um, that leads us naturally into this next point on the compass, which is teach for transformation. Um, it's this is not about just teaching, you know, content that could be memorized and set into, you know, some kind of printed curriculum. Um, the content that I'm teaching is the content of character, and therefore it's modeled. That's this caught um, more than taught business. But there is some content that is then taught. But the content that's taught is taught toward a purpose, and that ter- that purpose is transformation. Can you talk about that? So this is why we started with cultivating trust and modeling growth. Now the the compass isn't completely, you know, linear. However, we do feel like setting the foundation of trust and the foundation of living a life that shows the kind of character we're trying to get at. Those really pave the way for teaching and then for, you know, what we're actually teaching, a lot of it comes in the way we live, but then it also comes in the way we approach that content. So one of the things that we talk about is never make a statement if you can ask a question instead. That teenagers need space. They need space to ask their questions, but also 
you know, to wrestle with ideas, to wrestle with belief, um, to have room for curiosity and even doubt. And when, when we, when we ask good questions, we're actually teaching the way that Jesus taught. He, he was 40 times more likely to ask a question than to give an answer. And so, um, you know, we're talking about teaching that's not just information transfer, but really that's making space for dialogue, making space for, you know, openness to to wrestle with ideas, to wrestle with that content. And we really do think that leads to deeper transformation than just getting the answers right, than just knowing the information. That's so good. Um, the last two points on the compass, practice together and making meaning, um, reminded me of conversations we've had with Kara in the past that you were part of as well, although you weren't, weren't with us on air, a conversation about withing, right? So this moving yeah. out with students and actually living it together, I, I kind of thought of that as the withing, um, which I just loved that conversation. And then the make meaning really feels like it addresses those identity, belonging, and purpose conversations that you guys have encouraged us to have in the three big questions. Yes, yes. Great job tying all that together, Carmen. I love it. Well, there you go. I feel like I, I feel like I'm I'm getting a passing grade today by the professor. You are indeed. Those are some of our favorite things to talk about. And you're right that these really go together, these last two compass points. Practicing together, it's about anything that that gives young people a chance to try it out. You know, our mm-hmm. faith, our character, it really it needs room to experiment and to to um, that kids need to try things and fail and then to come back and talk about them. You know, whether that's, again, whether that's at home around the dinner table, whether that is that late night processing or whether it's in youth group, um, they need adults in their lives who can help them process and make meaning of what happened. And absolutely, yes, that making meaning is helping them then tie the threads with their own journey towards identity, belonging, and purpose, um, which are their deepest questions. It's what it means to be human, but especially what it means to be a teenager. And so, you know, the the making meaning, it's a step we need to not skip <laughs> in those uh. conversations. And, and, and here again, timing is everything. Sometimes it's just being ready for it and being ready with a good, uh, a good wondering question. Yeah, I wonder what would happen if we crossed the room and asked that person with that sign why they think that or what that means. I wonder what would happen if we, um, you know, went to some, uh, you know, a different part of town to shop for groceries today just to see what other people are are doing in the and the world they're living in. I wonder, I wonder what might happen if. And and there's a withing to that in that I'm going to go with you to do that, um, or I'm going to take you along. Hey, I'm headed over here to do this thing. Um, being open to including younger people in what we're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I I just confess to you, we've now, you know, we've heard this from a number of people from a number of different, you know, sort of vantage points on the conversation about emerging generations that they'd have this deep desire to be mentored. Um, or that's the language of our generation. Uh, they might not call it that, but this Mm -hmm. come along with me, um, way of talking about, discipleship and life. So thank you for the withing language, because I have used that frequently. That's really what we're inviting more mature Christians to do, um, is to slow down maybe and go go back 
um, and walk a portion of the discipleship journey with a younger person, but also invite them to come forward and walk with you in the part that you're on now. Um, because that's really where that, I mean, that's so Jesus-y, like that's where the learning comes. Yes, absolutely. And you're right that young people want and need us to be those kinds of adults in in their lives. And, And I would say too, I actually think this is the only way forward right now. I mean, in, in a society where we're experiencing so much polarization, so much othering that young people need adults to be withing with them in a way that we can help. I mean, back to the beginning of our conversation that we can cultivate trust and being Mm -hmm. with them and trying things with them. You know, that is a way we also cultivate trust with them in, in their lives. Well, one of the things you guys are going to love about the book, um, faith beyond youth group are the questions that come um, charting your own map forward at the end of each chapter. um, And then conversations about how can this journey change you. Um, There are possible next steps. There are all kinds of exercises in the book that you can do and you can do um, with your team and maybe with your young people um, in some cases as well. So it's a wonderful, wonderful resource. If you're looking for a compass to to help you find your way um, as you are leading young people, forming character and cultivating lifelong discipleship, Faith Beyond Youth Group. Brad Griffin, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. So what are some of your takeaways? Mary chimed in on the text line and said, never make a statement when you can ask a question instead. She says that's a needed reminder. You have a takeaway from that conversation or another conversation we've had here today. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to hear from you. The text line is open 877-933-2484. Also, if you have a particular prayer concern and you can pop it over to me pretty quickly, 877-933-2484. I want to take a couple of minutes here at um, at the close of our conversation and time together to lift up prayers that folks have raised on the text line this morning and yours as well. So uh, 877-933-2484. What if, what if, what might happen if, what might happen if you engage today with um, with a person that you've been, well, maybe a little afraid of because they're younger and you don't necessarily think you have anything in common. Well, what might happen if you just ask them, hey, what's, um, what's going on in the world from your perspective? Or what's going on in the world that um, you find exciting or confusing or troubling? Um, what does it look like to come alongside a young person, and then invite them to come alongside us. Like, what does that, um, what does that look like? All right. Thank you for those of you who've already popped in with prayers. Let's turn our attention directly now uh, together to the Lord, where two or three are gathered in His name. He is present, and so you and I are gathered together right now. Uh, and I'm going to lift up the prayers that uh, folks have been, the concerns that folks have been sharing with us. And you raise up your prayers um, silently uh, or out loud, right? Right now. So, Father, we do come before you as brothers and sisters in Christ, relying fully upon your mercy and grace, acknowledging the power of your Holy Spirit present with us right now. Father, um, I want to lift up Serena by name. Thank you for the surgery she had yesterday at uh, Children's Hospital in Madison. Take care of her body, knit together together. 
the, the things that the surgeons did and, uh, and used that procedure to strengthen her body that she might um, breathe and walk upright. We pray for Josh, um, father as well. We pray for um, uh, a mother-in-law that's having surgery today to bypass a malignant tumor in her colon. Father, we pray for um, your grace, your goodness. We pray for all the members of that family and those who will now need to find um, some way to care for uh, a brother-in-law who's handicapped. Father, we pray for those in addiction. Um, We pray for those near and those far, and we pray for our kids. Father, grant your grace, grant your grace, all sufficient in every way. Amen. Friend, have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.